0: waters edge podcast acknowledges the traditional owners of country throughout the murray darling basin and australia and recognizes the continuing connection to lands waters and community we pay our respects to aboriginal and torres strait islander cultures and to the elders past present and emerging coming up navigating the challenges of the highly valuable water space as new south wales's regulator
1: that's a it's a big operation lots of water being taken in New South Wales lawfully. In fact, we understand the value of that water take to be around $29 billion, or in the order, or generates direct value of around $4 billion per annum
0: and how a lack of duly qualified meter installers is causing significant delays in getting water meters up to standard.
2: You can't go out across the state and find one of 120. If you're in Narrabri, your options are probably much lower than that and there's not as many uh, active as we think uh, is needed.
0: There's a lot to unpack in this episode, so we've split it into two parts. This is part one. I'm your host, Annabel Hudson. This is Water's Edge, and welcome to The Conversation. The role of the Independent Inspector General of Water Compliance is to deliver trust and transparency in the management of Murray-Darling Basin Resources, and ensure the highest standard of accountability for all involved in the use and management of those Basin Resources. Often the role of the Inspector General is confused with the role of state agencies, such as the Natural Resources Access Regulator, or NRA in New South Wales. When the role of the Inspector General was established, it was noted in the legislation that it was not intended to duplicate the role of other agencies. The Inspector General aims to oversight and monitor agencies, ensuring they are complying with the Basin Plan and Water Act. The role of state agencies, like NRA is to enforce and prosecute individuals. Joining us on today's episode of Water's Edge is NRA's Chief Regulatory Officer Grant Barnes and our Deputy Inspector General of Water Compliance, Daniel Blacker. Um, So Grant, we'll start with you and your history. You were recruited in late 2017, hand-picked all the way from Auckland, New Zealand. It must have been a big adjustment to come from New Zealand to Australia to work in the water space. And it's it's confusing even for people who are familiar with it. How did you end up as the chief regulatory officer and how did you adapt?
1: I have the privilege to lead the Natural Resources Access Regulator, which is New South Wales' independent regulator of water. And it's a, been a dream role the past, Five years. And I came to this through a long background in natural resources management, initially in, in science, uh, and then I worked in strategy for a period before working in Auckland in the compliance and enforcement space. And it really was a, an incredible opportunity to come over to New South Wales at a really important time for water regulation. We have our own statute, we have our own board. And our compliance and enforcement activities are independent of the influence of administrators, the influence of industry, and the influence of political decision makers. So it is that reason I think it's a dream job.
0: How does this role at NRA differ to what you had previously been doing? You had a, had a bit of a background in the regulatory space over in New Zealand.
1: Yes, yeah, so my previous role in the Auckland Council was running their compliance and enforcement agency and that was a broad role so it extended from uh, environmental health alcohol licensing noise control uh, all anim- the
0: controversial stuff all,
1: all the hard stuff uh, as well as doing um, uh, compliance enforcement against uh, air land and, and water matters and natural resources matters so that was a, a big role with a high volume of um, incidents has been recorded we would deal with about one hundred and twenty thousand. Uh, incidences per year to in, to investigate. Mm-hmm. That compares here in Enra, where we are uh, investigating about fourteen hundred uh, a year. And the our focus in New South Wales with reports of suspicious activity that that the public will make. They'll they'll drop us a line, give us a call, and say, Hey, I'm not sure what's going on over here. Whether it's lawful or not. And we take that information, we assess it for its credibility. And um, if it is credible, and if it looks like there's a likely breach of law, then our team of investigators um, will follow up the case Mm -hmm. and they'll assess it. They'll um, undertake their own analysis, take legal advice, and then make recommendations as to whether the matter should proceed to enforcement. And at that point, within NRA, we're making some decisions where we exercise our discretion. So we'll look at the matter in terms of the harm caused, uh, culpability, and, that, and that's a measure of the, of the water users' knowledge of their activities and whether or not it was in breach of law, whether they had that understanding. We also um, evaluate the public's interest in the work that we do and how it connects to a particular matter. And then fourthly, and this is something that listeners might, might appreciate, is, is assessing one's attitude to compliance. Mm-hmm. And um, I always think that in the in the event that someone gets pulled over for, for speeding and the, the police officer knocks on the door and she says, you know, are you aware of how fast you were going? Um, certainly in my experience, in the rare occasions I, I have been pulled over for speeding, I would, I would be polite, I'd be respectful, I'd, I'd offer up um, genuine answers to the police officer's inquiry and, and it's probable that they'll evaluate the circumstances based on the attitude that I was presenting. Now conversely if I was to be quite rude to that police woman and, um, and didn't conduct myself respectfully it's it's likely that the consequences would be would be more severe. So we look at harm, we look at culpability, public interest and we also look at the attitude to compliance. You put all that into the mix and then my team will determine what enforcement action to take and that can be at the lower end of the punitive scale, uh, maybe uh, issuance of a a warning, right the way up to a prosecution in the local court or in the New South Wales Land and Environment Court.
0: Now, the role of the Inspector General is slightly different to that of NRAS, and there are a lot of similarities obviously there's the compliance element but of course the role of the inspector general isn't to duplicate the role of other agencies so how does the inspector general work with basin state regulators like enra daniel um, to support their compliance and enforcement activities and not duplicate it
2: so uh, the inspector general's team spend a lot of time working on things like water resource plan compliance sustainable diversion limit compliance we also look at compliance with the basin plan water trading rules And that's all very different to what uh, Grant and team do in New South Wales. Um, They're predominantly on farm, they're looking at metering, they're looking at water theft. Um, So there's a lot of space where we don't duplicate at all. And Of course, the Inspector General also has a broader function which is all about oversight. Uh, of performance of water management agencies, which is much broader than just water compliance. Um, But the thing people tend to focus on all the time is water theft. They look at the potential for duplication between what Grant's team do and what the Inspector General does uh, on water theft. Um, We tend to think about water theft as a last resort provision. Um, It's a step in if there's a failure in the state's systems or its intent to uh, um, investigate and pursue water theft and non-compliance. Um, and so we, we tend to think that if we get to that point, we've already got a problem that we should have addressed. We're really interested in the systems uh, and performance of those systems to make sure we don't get to that point. Um, And so we do things like auditing and reviewing and working alongside the regulators to understand performance and maturity. Uh, But uh, our job's not to do what the states do. Um, And I think there's a really important opportunity here for cooperation, so it's not just about where there's potential duplication, but where a Commonwealth offence could potentially have some benefit and opportunity for states. So if there's cross-border harm and a state uh, uh, knocks on our door and wants to have a conversation about that, then we're open to that as well.
0: And there are a couple of things I want to talk about, but you mentioned that there's... kind of work that the inspector general's been doing in terms of audits and things like that but we've recently issued our first metering report card there's one not too far around the corner if it hasn't already been released by the time this podcast comes out so telemetry is something that other states really talk up um, especially in victoria and their telemetry coverage is quite strong and it's all automated telemetry though grant isn't Enra's core focus for metering though, is it? what What are some of the innovative things that you're doing in the metering and measure, measurement space to make sure that there is that element of compliance?
1: So I think the legacy of Ken Matthews and his inquiry um, holds strong here in New South Wales. Uh, amongst the many recommendations that Ken made, he coined the phrase no metre, no pump. Now that's articulated for us in the accurate recording of water taken via a meter that is to a high standard of accuracy that's validated as accurate and in some circumstances are connected to a device that enables that information to be transmitted to a central
0: it's all automatic it's it's all through a computer system
1: it should be yeah it should be <laughs> there's been a, a long requirement in New South Wales for water to be accurately recorded now, that started through the manual means, through holding of logbooks and, and recording daily entries of water taken, and there was an expectation or an obligation that that recording was, was accurate. Now, if you fast forward into a, into a digital environment, and what we can do now with, with technology is to take the manual recording out of a logbook and do it through a device that's connected to a meter, and that device records the information that's coming off the meter, packages it up and sends it into the cloud where it's accessed, stored, and then from us as a compliance enforcement agency, we can draw on that information and check whether it accords with the entitlement that a user has. Mm -hmm. So you can determine whether they're taking what they are entitled to or more than. And it's the more than piece that from a compliance enforcement perspective we are interested in. There are many users in New South Wales, Uh, so we know there are about 40,000 Licenses, forty thousand water access licenses. That's a it's a big operation. Lots of water being taken in, in New South Wales lawfully. In fact, we understand the value of that water take to be around twenty nine billion dollars, or in the order or generates a direct value of around four billion dollars per annum. So it's a it's a very valuable resource and one that I think all stakeholders want to see is managed in accordance. With the law, getting moving from a, a, a manual based system of reporting water to a digital system is something that the New South Wales government is committed to and we're seeing that roll out um, over various tranches through last couple of tranches to now tranche three into tranche four. So it's a work in progress so it's a long answer to a question of why, what is NRA focusing on at the moment? We focus on the first element, the installation of an accurate meter that's been independently validated as accurate. Our attention then follows as to how that information has then been telemeted into the system. Now why we have split those two up is because it being new technology, there have been some challenges along the way that water users have encountered. The, the ability to connect this new technology to a meter configure it in a manner that it can send data into the cloud, that when it's received by this database it's in a form that enables its access. These are all things that the government's been working on to get right and it's still a work in progress. It's hindered um, by the sheer volume of works that need to have meters corrected and connected. So we will see over the next year or two, our focus will shift very deliberately from accurate meters installed to the information collected in those meters being reported through to the central database.
0: And is there a deadline that you've put on having all that sorted by?
1: Well, the great thing about working in NRA is we don't impose the deadlines, we don't make the regulatory settings, we don't write the rules, we're not the policymaker. Um, we try and keep our job in the simplest of forms. Mm-hmm. So being really clear about what is the un- what is the obligation that a water user ha- has, which enables the right to take the water. In those obligations, what do they have to do? When do they have to do it by? So there's a sequence of events here that New South Wales government has, has adopted as they roll out the non-urban metering regulations, starting with the big end of town. So those users who had have pumps greater than 500 millimetres they've had an obligation to install meters to have them accurately certified and connected to telemetry since December 2020. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: More recently users in the northern valleys of New South Wales have had an obligation to do similar since December of 2021 Mm -hmm. and as of this month as of June Tranche 3 comes online so southern water users now have an obligation to install meters on their surface pumps or their groundwater bores if they meet a certain diameter. Finally, all this concludes with Tranche 4 in another year's time back into December 2024 when users in the coast will need to make sure that their works, pumps or bores have an accurate meter installed and that that's been independently validated.
0: And Daniel, with the Inspector General of Water Compliance doing the um, metering report card, is this uh, what is rolling out in terms of the tranches, is that on track according to the report card?
2: We put out our first report card earlier this year and it went up to the point of mid-2021. So how are states, including New South Wales, going with their metering rollouts up until uh, that point? Um, What we're working on now is the second set of data to give us an idea of how it's changed between mid-21 and mid-2022. And that'll give us a really good picture for the first time about the pace of implementation. Um, So we think coverage is... Quite good across all jurisdictions, uh, very high percentages of coverage. New South Wales now up over the 80% in coverage. Uh, our concerns around the accuracy and the timeliness, so some of the things that Grant was talking through, uh, there are commitments there from uh, all governments, including New South Wales government, uh, to implement that by mid 2025. So that means high levels of coverage, accuracy and timeliness within three years of, the, of that second report card. So we're really looking at the pace of implementation and any impediments. And what we're particularly uh, looking to see at the end of that is governments have kept the commitments that they made to the community five years ago on the back of Matthews and on the back of Pumped, and that those things have been implemented by 2025. Um, but the pace is probably the thing that concerns us around accuracy and timeliness. And as Grant said, there's uh, lots of different agencies in that landscape. We don't just deal with the regulators. We deal with the policy agencies, with the river operators. And there's a much broader conversation there about how do you roll out a new policy and policy implementation. But we're also interested in the specifics. So things like uh, in New South Wales, the number of duly qualified persons Um Uh, do we have enough people to validate, to install, uh, and to do all of the things around maintaining meters that we need to actually get this to work? Does
0: the metering report card tell us whether we do?
2: We capture numbers around that um, from a national body who keeps those uh, statistics, but uh, I think what the report card probably doesn't highlight in full is that not all of those that are... um, uh, 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 captured by that federal body um, uh, are active in the market, that you can't go out across the state and find one of 120. If you're in Narrabri, your options are probably much lower than that, and there's not as many uh, active as we think uh, is needed. So uh, that's certainly an area that we're talking to New South Wales policy agencies about.
1: So you can look at the rollout of the non urban metering regulations from a from a no metre, no pump lens, and considering that to be about volume of water taken. So thinking about how well is New South Wales doing it at the moment, you can look at that in terms of the number of works that have a metre connected, or you can look at the volume of water taken from accurate metres. So I don't think New South Wales is any unusual to other jurisdictions in that a small number of users take a large volume of water. It's almost a 2080 perspective. So 20% of works in New South Wales take 80% of the water. So how is New South Wales going in that regard? Well with the successful rollout of Tranche 1 and those being works greater than 500 millimetres, they are the works that have the capacity to take large volumes of water. Now we are satisfied that Tranche 1, about 90% of those works, now have an accurate meter installed. Those works with those accurate meters are taking large volumes of water. So I think that's, it's really encouraging in, in that respect. When you look at other tranches, you start to see smaller works involved. And it's there where the progress is not at the rate needed mm-hmm. to be. And that's a result of circumstances in some instances that are outside a water users' control. The COVID-19 pandemic had major impacts on procurement
0: and supply, and
1: supply. Mm. so getting access to meters, having the physical ability to pick them up and then to install them was a major constraint for many um, over you know, 2020 2021. Equally, flooding. It's amazing in New South Wales, you go from severe drought conditions mm. and then to, to flood conditions, both of which were impediments to getting meters installed. Firstly, to install a meter and validate it, you have to be able to run water through the system to check that it's working. Difficult to do when you're in severe drought and there's no water around. Now, too much water made access to site really difficult uh, for those in the north and the south, and the government recognised that by extending the deadline for users into the south by by a further six months. We also know that, and Daniel's just mentioned it, the duly qualified person is a central part of the success of these um, reforms in that they are the agents who in often case will be installing the meters and then running the test to certify them as accurate. Now we know through experience that there simply haven't been enough active DQPs in New South Wales to meet the demand for installation and, and validation. In fact looking at, at numbers now for the north, we know there's a, there's a very long queue of people, of water users who've sought the services of a DQP and are now waiting for them to get on farm and service their requirements. Such it's taking um, 200. 200 to 250 days on average from the time you start your installation to getting it certified at the end. That's a market constraint Mm. um, that that we've acknowledged and we can see through the work that our teams are doing on-farm, providing advice to water users and hearing generally what their challenges have been. This is an ambitious program to get all 40-odd thousand works into uh, an accurate meter space. And yes, to Daniel's point about 2025, uh, that deadline looks uh, difficult to achieve at the current run rate, at the current rate of installations and and validation. So it's why um, I I think it's necessary to take a look at how the rollout is going, and, and I think the government will be doing so. But I think to conclude, though, that the main message here is at that the volume of water, that large volume of water that's being taken in New South Wales, what proportion of it is going through an accurate meter, that through the Inspector General's report card is validated as high, and that's a good thing. But it's also acknowledging there's more work to be done to get that long tail of low volume users with smaller works into the accurate metering ecosystem?
2: I, I think there's probably two things there that are, are really worth highlighting Annabelle. The first one is, it, is the conversation on coverage. There is a perception in other jurisdictions other than New South Wales that there is uh, a lot of properties taking water without a meter. So the coverage numbers show that they have meters. A lot of the conversation in New South Wales is about how do we get those to Australian standard of accuracy? So that's plus or minus 5%. And how do we get those metres to a point where they're providing real time information to regulators like NRA so that they're making decisions in real time in response to that information? Um, so they're the two areas that we're really looking to um, see improve. Um, but Gren also makes a really good point that When you look at a problem like this, this has been around for a long time. Uh, There were commitments around this back in the mid-2000s. There was uh, commitments in 2009, commitments again in uh, 2017 and 2018. And so it's been a pretty long journey to get to this point on water metering, particularly in New South Wales, but other jurisdictions as well. Um, And when you've got a long legacy issue like that, the question is, how do you address it? And Grant's quite right. You have to address the biggest risk first. You have to spend your time and attention on those who have the biggest pumps, the biggest water take, uh, and that's where you start. And that's what New South Wales has been doing.
0: Next episode, we'll be talking about NRA's use of remote sensing technology, and whether penalties are proportionate to the offences people have found guilty of. That's in part two of our chat with Grant Barnes. Water's Edge is produced by the Inspector General of Water Compliance, Australian Government, Canberra. For more information, visit www.igwc.gov.au.